the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing. Sam Maupin is engineering today's program. In the 5 o'clock hour, right at the top, we'll hear from Jeff Pack. He's the author of Witness to History, the story of Gideon's International. It's a uh, rebroadcast of a conversation I had about a year ago. That's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. And we're going to try to cover as many headlines from the last several days as we can, beginning right now. Well, the U.S. took out al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawahiri during a counterterrorism operation this weekend, according to a report citing top administration sources speaking on the basis of anonymity. The president later spoke on that very subject. Well, over the weekend, the United States conducted a counterterrorism operation against a significant al-Qaeda target in Afghanistan. The operation was successful and there were no civilian casualties. Now, we don't have any intelligence on the ground, so it's unconfirmed in terms of Eyewitness, but there are ways, I suppose, of confirming that very thing. Intelligence sources told the outlet the leader was um, Al Zawahiri, and he um, was in fact Al Zawahiri, and he was killed in a CIA drone strike. Well, the president has addressed the country about that very strike. The Egyptian-born Al Zawahiri was placed on the FBI's most wanted terrorist list after 9/11, with a reward of 25 million dollars for information leading up to his arrest. Whether or not that was given out in this case, we don't know. Al Zawahiri, along with Osama bin Laden, orchestrated the 9/11 terrorist attacks and then evaded U.S. assassination attempts for decades. So this is significant. He was indicted for his alleged role in the August 2nd, uh, 7th, rather 1998 bombings of the United States embassies in uh, Tanz, um, uh, Tanzania and Nairobi, Kenya. Al-Zawahiri was the founder of Egyptian Islamic Jihad, which merged with al-Qaeda in 1998. He took over as the leader of the terrorist organization after the death of bin Laden, which Biden opposed at the time of the uh, the previous administration. I should say the Obama administration, so one administration ago. Well, the warning for excessive heat near 100 degrees has been canceled for the valley in southwest Washington. Portland weekend highs went uh, into the book at 102 on Saturday, 98 degrees on Sunday. Today, I think we were expected to reach up to 90, but things are cooling off. Fire danger is going to remain high over central, eastern and southern Oregon throughout the day with possible lightning strikes over uh, dry uh, fuels uh, in the forecast. A large fire, the McKinney fire, burned in northern California Much smaller fires in the Cascades have produced some smoky haze in the sky across parts of western Oregon. And as mentioned, Portland will likely reach 90 degrees today, could be close to 90 on Tuesday. By Wednesday, the forecast drops into the mid-80s and closer to 80 on Thursday with morning cloudiness expected. Remember cloudiness? I, I, I miss cloudiness. I wouldn't mind that at all. Well, the three women running to be Oregon's next governor sparred over abortion, homelessness, guns and climate change in their first debate on Friday. 
Friday's forum, hosted by the Oregon Newspaper Publishers Association at a resort in Welch's, was the unofficial start of the general election campaign and the first time Democratic uh, Democrat Tina Kotek, Republican Christine Drazen, and non-affiliated candidate Betsy Johnson met on the uh, debate stage. But the three have debated publicly and privately during their past years in the state legislature. Kotek, who was the Speaker of the Oregon House for nine years, argued that she alone has the experience to solve pressing issues facing Oregon, ranging from homelessness to inflation and addiction. No matter what the other candidates say here today, there are no quick fixes, Kotek said. There are no miracle cures. Only hard work is going to allow us to ensure that every part of our state can thrive, end quote. Drazen, the House Minority Leader from 2019 to 2021, contended that she should be Oregon's first Republican governor in four decades because the state needs a new direction. We've got to choose change, Drazen said. Homelessness will not change under these two ladies. Crime will not improve. Our schools will not improve. We will. Uh, we need leadership and real change to hold the Democrats to account. Well, uh, Johnson, a former conservative Democratic state senator from Columbia County who left her party to run for governor, said she's a choice between the radical right, Oregon, Oregonians' distrust, and the progressive left they fear. Christine wants to be the first anti-choice governor in Oregon's history, promising to veto pro-choice, pro-choice policies, read abortion policies. Tina wants to preserve tent cities and bring the culture wars to your kid's classroom. She'll have us all woke and broke while these two uh, keep fighting. I'm going to reject the political extremes and lead Oregon toward common ground, end quote. Well, Oregonians listed the cost of living and homelessness as their top issues in the January poll, and all three candidates acknowledged homelessness as a crisis. At least 14,655 Oregonians experienced homelessness on a single night in January of 2020. That's according to the latest available data from the U.S. Housing and Urban Development Department, uh, their annual point-in-time count. Kotek described her work on Project Turnkey, which launched uh, with $65 million in 2020 to convert unused hotel and motels into emergency housing. It resulted in more than 900 new shelter beds in 13 counties before lawmakers added a combined $60 million in 2021 and this year as well. Ending the homelessness crisis will require increased shelter space, more housing and uh, teams that can work with homeless people to get them the resources they need, Kotek said. This is complex and there is not one single way to solve it. She went on to say you need to do all of it. Johnson said she supports models like one at the uh, a former Wapato jail in North Portland, a never used jail that since October of 2020 has been a sober living space. People pay $250 monthly for a bed, three meals a day, but they must stay sober. She said Bend is looking at a similar model in an unused jail. Drazen said the uh, the state's primary focus on housing and shelters hasn't solved the problem and there needs to be more money directed to wraparound services. What we have uh, been experiencing in Oregon right now has enabled this problem to spiral out of control, she said. They talked about climate change. Each candidate was in the legislature during the doomed 2019-2020 efforts by uh, Democrats to pass climate legislation and uh, capping greenhouse gas emissions after Republican walkouts denying quorums blocked the legislation from moving forward each year. Governor Kate Brown issued an executive order requiring the State Department of Environmental Quality to develop its own cap-and-trade policy. They addressed that. They addressed uh, abortion, guns, uh, the economy, and other issues of interest and concern to Oregonians. Again, this was uh, sponsored, uh, the debate was sponsored 
uh, by uh, the forum of the Oregon Newspaper Publishers Association at a resort in Welch's, the first official and I would say kickoff of the campaign season for Oregon's governor's race. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break, but we'll be back. Keeping in mind, right at top of the second hour, Jeff Pack, witness to history. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the fate of a social spending and tax bill agreed to by Senator Joe Manchin and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer hangs in the balance as another key moderate, Senator Kirsten Sinema, still hasn't said if she'll support it. Manchin said he plans to talk with Sinema on the Senate uh, on the Senate Monday about the bill, but her office says it may take a little longer for the senator to decide how she'll vote. Senator Sinema does not have comments as she's reviewing the bill text and will need to see what comes out of the parliamentarian process, a spokesperson said on her behalf. With a 50-50 Senate and Republicans coalescing against the Manchin-Schumer bill, every vote will count for the uh, Schumer and uh, his bare-bones majority to pass. Well, that means Washington is waiting with bated breath to see where she comes down on what may be the Democrats' last and best chance to pass a social spending bill before the midterms. Extending the drama, Cinema's announcement may not come until later in the week due to the nature of the parliamentarian process her spokesperson referred to. Senate parliamentarian Elizabeth McDonough This week, we'll uh, hear arguments from Republicans and Democrats over whether certain parts of the bill comport with the beard uh, bird rule, rather, that uh, process is still the bird bath, as they call it. Well, that rule says generally provisions in the reconciliation bill, which is the process Democrats are using to get around the 60 vote filibuster, should affect government spending or revenue. Uh, McDonough will uh, rule on which provisions don't fit that definition, making them what the rule calls extraneous matter. Technically, the Senate could overrule the parliamentarian, but top lawmakers haven't given any indication they plan to do so. With a bill hundreds of pages long for the parties to bicker over, it's possible that the process won't be wrapped up until later in the week. That means it could be several days before Cinema announces her final position, which could either dash Democrats' hopes or uh, of a major legislative victory or power them uh, to what uh, could be their biggest win yet. Meanwhile, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, the Democrat, infuriated his uh, Democratic colleagues by refusing to pass the Biden administration multi-trillion dollar tax and spend build back better agenda. At the time, he said it would stoke inflation. But now he agreed to approve elements of that same plan, a scaled down $400 billion version of build back better that he says will fight inflation. And I think it's a great piece of legislation, Manchin said, speaking to CNN's State of the Union, Jake Tapper. I couldn't get there with uh, Build Back Better. It was $3.5 trillion of spending, Manchin said. And this is taking $3.5 trillion of spending down to $400 billion of investment. That's definitely going to make a difference in America and everybody's pocketbook. And that's fighting inflation. That's what we're uh, what we're doing. So what's uh, so with that, he went on to say, I didn't want to build anyone anticipation up. But then they came down and up and down like a yo-yo. And he finally settled on. Uh, what he and the majority leader uh, decided to support. It's not a Democrat bill. It's not a Republican bill. It's definitely not a green bill. This is a red, white, and blue bill, and it's great for America. Well, he certainly has detractors who would disagree, uh, first of all, that it's not bipartisan in that it will very likely not receive any Republican votes and uh, argue the point that it will not lower inflation. We'll continue to follow that um, that progress over the next few days, as I mentioned earlier, the parliamentarian 
uh, will have to weigh in before it moves forward. Well, the Chinese military posted a video of its troops launching missiles, grabbing weapons and taking up a fighter jet ahead of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan that is yet to be officially confirmed. If Pelosi insists on visiting Taiwan, China will take resolute and strong measures to defend its sovereignty and territorial integrity. Chinese foreign minister spokesperson said on Monday, according to the New York Post, the rhetoric comes after sources confirmed to The Wall Street Journal that Pelosi would be visiting Taiwan as part of her trip to Asia this week, which would make the House Speaker the highest ranking American official to visit the independently governed island since then House Speaker Newt Gingrich in 97. Word of Pelosi's trip did not sit well with China, which views Tiananmen or rather Taiwan as part of its territory. And any trip by a high-ranking American official is confirmation, the U.S. support for the island's independence. Those who play with fire will perish by it, Zhao said. We would like to, at once, uh, to once again admonish the U.S. that we are fully prepared for any eventuality and the PLA will never sit idly by. Now, the president kept um, acknowledging that the United States uh, recognizes one China uh, they do not support the independence, which is a little confusing to me because we are going to defend Taiwan if China were to invade. But that's not true. Um, is it the House or the Senate that has not embraced that position? Uh, and Nancy Pelosi, when she was visiting China on an earlier occasion, unfurled a, a flag in Tiananmen Square trying to get a rise out of uh, the government at that time. So it is personally um, directed at her as well as the fact that members of Congress don't necessarily embrace the position that the uh, executive branch has taken. Following Trump's call to build that wall, the Biden administration is set to finish construction on Trump's border wall in Arizona, despite Biden's campaign promise not to build another foot. Economic experts are criticizing the media for denying the reality of Biden's slumping economy. And in an imposed dorm dilemma, Angela Morabito writes that thanks to the Biden administration, your daughter's college roommate could be a man. In a prisoner swap, Russian officials on Thursday responded to reports from the Biden administration that a substantial proposal was offered to bring home WNBA player Brittany Griner and former U.S. Marine Paul Whelan, claiming that no deal has been finalized. In an ecosystem experiment, a billionaire-funded eco-group quietly taking farmland out of production in rural America. And constituents are worried that uh, Manchin's $433 billion reconciliation bill could be costly to West Virginia. Pressing pause, note pressing pause, Republicans are ditching the mainstream press and media outlets mourn. Media outlets have begun to fume at Republicans for ignoring or bypassing their questions and requests for interviews. The trend began with a New York Magazine intelligentsia writer, David Friedlander, publishing a piece describing why Republicans stopped talking to the press on Monday. Since Friedlander's article was published, other media sites printed their own pieces on the growing animosity between Republicans and mainstream press. Of course, that animosity began with the mainstream press that has resulted in Republicans simply saying, no, thank you. Hulu has now caved to Democrats' abortion on, ad, on abortion ad demands. The popular TV streaming service recently gave in to leftist demands and reversed its ban on airing political ads. Social justice warriors complained on social media that Hulu was blocking their hot button ads on issues like guns and abortion. After the blowback, Hulu, which is partnered with Disney, responded after a thorough review of ad uh, policies across its linear networks and streaming platforms over the last few months. Disney is now aligning Hulu's political advertising policies to be consistent with the company's general inter- 
Entertainment and Sports Cable Networks and ESPN+. Plus. The question is, will Hulu similarly allow conservatives to run political ads as well? Well, that appears to be an open question, given the rest of Hulu's statement. Hulu will now accept candidates and issues uh, advertisements covering a wide spectrum of policy positions, but reserves the right to request edits or alternative creative in alignment with industry standards. My guess is the answer will be no. Senator Collins blasted President Biden over the fentanyl crisis. We have to face the very unpleasant truth that uh, we've, we're doing um, what we're doing is not working, stated Senator Susan Collins during a hearing on the growing fentanyl crisis with U.S. overdose deaths tied to fentanyl topping 79,000 last year. Collins blasted the administration's open border policy. I've been to the border with Mexico, she observed. I've talked with Border Patrol officers out of their midnight shifts, and they've expressed such frustration that they have had to divert their resources to handling the tremendous influx of people crossing the border rather than focusing on illicit drug interdiction. Collins concluded that our inability to secure the border has an adverse impact and contributes directly to our inability to stop the flow of drugs into the country. The data overwhelmingly demonstrates that whether you look at national data or data from states, uh, the state of Maine last year, fentanyl was involved in 77 percent of death overdoses, deadly overdoses in Maine. That's a dramatic increase. The Biden administration is um, being sued for holding school lunch money hostage over transgender policy. States are using gender ideology to steal children away from their parents. You can read more about that in the Washington Examiner. And a man charged in the attempted assassination of Justice Kavanaugh had hoped to kill three Supreme Court justices, suggesting father's milk. Guidance, the um, U.S. uh, hospitals encourages gender neutral language. Father's milk. I don't really want to think about that too long or hard. Amid recession fears, economically free states continue to outperform those less um, free counterparts. So freedom actually translates into prosperity these days. Giving a, um, I should say, political declares President Biden back in the game as U.S. enters a recession and breaking the bank. A Washington Post op-ed warns Latino voters are switching to the GOP as a huge problem for Nevada Democrats. Texas-sized problem. One town is on the verge of running out of uh, precious resource due to overuse. And giving a political hall pass, Democrats and unions face few consequences for school closures that permanently damaged a generation. Sharing the spotlight, White House Press Secretary Jean-Pierre, she always has someone by her side at the briefings. Now, granted, she's fairly new. That may not be the long-term strategy. Gearing up, President Biden is expected um, a decision on student loan pause and or loan forgiveness this month. And higher than ever, the RNC touts 40 million voter contacts and nearly $40 million cash on hand 100 days before the November election. Blackburn's back-to-school tips. Senator Marsha Blackburn shared her advice to parents as their kids get ready to head back to the classroom. The Tennessee Republican detailed a new guide she's uh, created for parents as kids return to the classroom. When students head back to school, she says, this fall, they'll encounter more than the usual list of challenges children and teens face. She was speaking to Fox News Digital in an email. Moms and dads need to be ready for that very thing. Oldest trick in Washington, Senator Toomey ripped Democrats for, as he put it, trotting out pseudo-celebrity John Stewart to make up false accusations about the veterans bill. Uh, that bill is um, has been held up because of other elements in it. We'll continue to follow to see if it moves forward and is stripped of some of those what Republicans call irrelevant 
elements. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I want to remind you, coming up right at the top of the second hour, Jeff Pack, author of Witness to History. And Destined for Victory with Paul Shepard is now part of our regular program lineup here on KPDQ, Monday through Friday, immediately following The Georgine Rice Show. Uh, just well, just just after the show. Join us every weekday immediately following. Uh, you'll be informed, inspired by practical, down-to-earth teaching blended with humor from Pastor Paul Shepard. You can learn more at kpdq.com. While redefining the narrative, Paul Krugman declares the U.S. is not in a recession, rather claiming negatively biased in the media. Of course, applying the definition that had been the standard, but nonetheless, down to, uh, downtowns are still empty. A CNN panelist says legislative victories won't be enough for Dems in the midterms. But of course, only the election will determine if that's true. Ranking the contenders, Washington Post opinion writers rank uh, who wins Democratic nomination if Biden doesn't run. After Harris, the columnist said Pete Buttigieg and Governor Gavin Newsom were likely to win the Democratic nomination. MSNBC's Tiffany Cross slams ABC for reportedly hiring Alyssa Farah Griffin to ho- co-host The View. Again, a conservative voice should never be heard, according to Tiffany Cross. The U.S. economy crosses the threshold to qualify as a recession. The U.S. economy contracted for the second straight quarter from April to June hitting a widely accepted rule of thumb for a recession. The Bureau of Economic Analysis reported Thursday gross domestic product fell 0.9 percent at an annualized pace for the period, according to advanced estimate. That follows a 1.6 percent decline in the first quarter and was worse than Dow Jones estimate for a gain of 0.3 percent. Officially, the National Bureau of Economic Research declares recessions and expansions and likely won't make the judgment on the period in which in question for months, if not longer. But a second straight negative GDP reading meets a long-held basic view of recession, despite the unusual circumstances of the decline. And regardless of what the NBER decides, GDP is the broadest measure for the economy and encompasses the total level of goods and services produced during the period. Los Angeles County will not reinstate mask mandates. National Review reports that the county officials announced Thursday that they would not impose a new indoor mask mandate two weeks after a watch period was triggered by high levels of COVID transmission. While hospitalizations and cases are still elevated, we're relieved to see declines across these two metrics, the county health director uh, said on Thursday. There's been a fairly steady decline in cases since the 23rd of, uh, I was going to say this month, but now it's last month, potentially signaling an end to this current surge. Well, the uh, director said two weeks ago that the county could once again reimpose a mask mandate after entering the CDC's high level of community transmission. Now, um, she says internal county data found that hospitalizations had fallen to 9.7 transmissions per 100,000 under the CDC's threshold between high and medium level community transmission. Unsurprisingly, Republicans are criticizing the tax hikes of the Manchin-Schumer deal, despite the fact that Manchin says, no, there won't be any tax increases at all. Republicans in Congress are racing to characterize the new spending bill being pushed by Democrats as out of touch with the American people as they work to try to defeat the more than $700 billion legislative package. Senator Manchin and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced They had reached the deal on Wednesday evening to move forward with a vastly pared back version of Build Back Better. The deal reached uh, reached rather includes four hundred and thirty three billion dollars in spending on climate change, drug pricing reform and health care provisions. 
And it only funds uh, Obamacare for one year, giving the impression that it doesn't contribute to the uh, to the deficit. But over time, continuing to do this year by year or not, it will over three hundred billion dollars in tax increases and an agreement between Schumer and Pelosi to vote and uh, an oil permitting reform. Republicans immediately started criticizing the deal after the announcement, calling it a desperate attempt to distract voters as the midterm elections approach and dubbing it build back broke. Bill Kirpin says Manchin, a senator from West Virginia, has included a coal tax hike in his bill. Section 13901 increases the tax per ton on underground mines from 50 cents to $1.10 and on surface mines from 25 cents to 55 percent. Spencer Brown also weighs in on town hall, saying clearly the Democrat agenda is more important to Schumer and Manchin than delivering solutions for the American people who are already suffering under the economic policies of the administration, denying the reality of what tax and spend policies have already created while seeking to double down on new spending and tax hikes will only further alienate voters who are just months away from deciding who gets to control Congress. D.C. Mayor Bowser is calling for the National Guard to assist with migrant buses. The D.C. mayor said Thursday that she had asked for the National Guard to be deployed to help handle the influx uh, coming into the nation's capital. Fox News says the uh, the mayor, who has championed accepting uh, migrants entering the country illegally as a human rights issue, as long as it didn't impact D.C., requested the National Guard to be activated indefinitely to assist with what she called a humanitarian crisis. So interestingly enough, it wasn't a crisis on the southern border, but you come into the interior to Washington, D.C., and it's now a crisis uh, that needs to be handled by the National Guard. Bowser is asking that the D.C. Armory be used as a uh, processing center and D.C. National Guard resources be used to help uh, field uh, migrants as they arrive by bus. Migrants by the bus loads have been sent to the Capitol by GOP governors Greg Abbott of Texas and Doug Ducey of Arizona as a statement over President Biden's handling of the immigration crisis at the southern border. Bowser has vocally complained about the migrant surge in her city, suggesting those entering the country are being tricked into coming to D.C., but stressed it is a federal issue that demands a federal response. Of course, in the absence of one, you've got these governors sending folks to Washington. Tensions are intensifying as Chinese President Xi cautions President Biden over Taiwan. The president and the, I should say the presidents, Biden and Xi, uh, Xi Jinping, had a contentious exchange on Taiwan in a two hour, 17 minute call on Thursday, their fifth call since Biden became president. Political reports that a source of tension in the background of the call was the speaker, Nancy Pelosi's potential visit to Taiwan, a diplomatic trip that the White House is not happy about. She is also facing a sensitive time with the the 20th Communist Party Congress coming up later this year. Any perceived cracks in the U.S. commitment to the one China policy could weaken his own influence. She underscored the need for bilateral cooperation on macroeconomic policies to keep global supply chains stable and to maintain food and energy security. The call also covered COVID-19 policies. Both presidents tasked their uh, respective teams to continue following up Thursday's conversation in particular to address climate change and health security. Sixty percent of abortion clinics have closed in 11 pro-life states. Town Hall reports that about 60 percent of abortion clinics in 11 states with near total or heartbeat abortion bans in place have shut down in the month since the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. Axios points out the 11 states that Guttmager looked at, Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Mississippi, Missouri, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee and Texas had a total of 71 clinics that provided abortion 
uh, abortions before June 24th. As of July 24th, there were only 28 clinics uh, offering abortion, all located in the states that have six-week abortion bans, Georgia, Ohio, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Guttmacher found Texas, where the state uh, pre-wrote near-total abortion ban is being enforced, had the most clinic closures, with 23 in total. It was followed by Alabama, which lost five clinics, Oklahoma, which also lost five, and Arkansas, with two fewer. Ukraine have um, uh, has isolated uh, Russians in Kherson, and they're preparing to recapture the city. We'll tell you more about that when we continue to wind our way through the news. But also a reminder that coming up, a classic interview with Jeff Pack, author of Witness to History, the story of Gideon's International. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Ukraine has isolated Russians uh, at Kherson and is preparing to recapture the city. They've been laying the groundwork for weeks, amassing forces and weaponry, and now it says making gains in the country's southern area. A Sesame Street theme park is being sued for $25 million in a racial discrimination lawsuit. The Baltimore family just filed the, uh, the suit against Sesame Place, a theme park in Pennsylvania, claiming their daughters were the target of racial discrimination after being ignored by a character in the act. There is still no mention of Nancy Pelosi's Taiwan stop in China as they're threatening to forcibly dispel Pelosi's plane. That's a direct quote. The Speaker of the U.S. House uh, confirmed Sunday she will visit four Asian countries this week, but made no mention of a possible uh, possible stop in Taiwan. That's fueled tension with Beijing, which claims the island democracy is uh, its own territory. An assault weapons ban passed the House and now goes to the Senate. And Elon Musk has countersued Twitter. The details are not yet known, but the New York Post reports that Musk filed a countersuit against Twitter on Friday, escalating his battle, his legal battle with the social media company over his abandoned $44 billion agreement to take over the, the site. The 164-page suit was filed under a seal just before the judge imposed a 5 p.m. deadline. So its contents were not immediately uh, visible to the public. Under court rules, a partially redacted version may be available. Twitter spokesman uh, Brian uh, Polyakov declined to comment on the countersuit. J.B. Heaton, an investments researcher and former corporate attorney, said that Musk's countersuit was likely filed under seal because it includes information that Twitter shared with Musk under a non-disclosure agreement or other restrictions. Soccer player Jaylene Daniels was benched after refusing to wear a pride jersey. The North Carolina defender sat out the Courage National Women's Soccer League game Friday night against the Washington Spirit after refusing to wear a gay pride jersey. While we're disappointed with her choice, we respect her right to make that decision for herself, although she wasn't seated with the team. Daniels refused a U.S. national team call up because of a gay pride jersey as well. Daniels, whose maiden name is Hinkle, was uh, re, uh, re-signed to the Courage last year in a bizarre open letter to fans. The team apologized to the LGBTQIA community for re-signing the soccer star. In response to the recent news of uh, uh, Daniels being re-signed, we as a club acknowledge the impact this announcement has on our community. The open letter said, We've spent the past few days reading your messages and reflecting on your our actions. We are very sorry to all those who are hurt, especially those within the LGBTQIA community. So it's not just simply a matter of um, of tolerating. It now has to be endorsed. She's unable to play if she doesn't endorse. 
They went on to say the decision to re-sign Jaylene was not made lightly and included significant conversations between organization leaders and Jaylene, the letter added. The priority expressed in these conversations is the safety of our players and maintaining an inclusive, respectful space for the entire team. Daniels posted her own response on her Twitter account, emphasizing that she loves all people regardless of their belief systems or sexuality, but didn't choose to endorse. These days you will be made to care. A Chicago prosecutor has resigned, citing a lack of confidence in city leadership. The veteran Illinois prosecutor reportedly slammed Cook County State Attorney Kim Fox for a scathing office-wide resignation letter, saying her administration is more concerned about political narratives and agendas than with victims and prosecuting violent crime. I wish I could stay, he wrote. However, I can no longer work for this administration. I have zero confidence in leadership. Murphy, who supported eliminating cash bail, also said Fox's office rushed the reform and that his concerns were ignored. And he cited dangerously low staffing levels in Fox's office to the point where one of uh, one or two people uh, person courtrooms are now common. First, it was the Netherlands. Now, Canada's farmers face fertilizer clampdowns. Undaunted by the uproar in the Netherlands over the impact of farmers uh, of rules limiting nitrogen emissions, Canada's government is now looking to go down a similar route. The Financial Post says the government is proposing a cut in emissions from fertilizer, 30 uh, percent by 2030, as part of a plan to get to net zero in the next three decades. But growers are saying that to achieve that, they'll have to shrink grain output significantly at a time when the world is scrambling for more supplies. Also at stake is the estimated $10.4 billion that farmers could lose this decade uh, from reduced output. The tensions come as efforts to cut carbon dioxide emissions related to energy are lagging, so policymakers are increasingly looking to other sectors, including agriculture. Climate targets on nitrogen in the Netherlands, for example, spurred protests from farmers worried they'd be forced out of business. And that's happening elsewhere around the world, even though it's not being widely reported. Asian-American support for President Biden is evaporating. According to the National Review, support for the president among Asian-Americans plummeted within the last year by nearly 30 percentage points, bringing the president underwater with one of the Democrats' key demographics 100 days before the midterms, recent polls indicate. A July poll conducted by the Pew Research Center showed 55 percent of Asian-Americans to be strongly disapproving or somewhat disapproving of the president's job performance. Only 44 percent somewhat or strongly approved. In April of last year, 72 percent of Asian-American voters surveyed by the Pew Research Center approved of Biden's job performance, amounting to nearly 30 points, a 30 point drop in approval among the fastest growing racial or ethnic group in the U.S. Wikipedia's recession page shows 41 edits in one week attempting to change the definition, calling it a complete waste of time. Ice comes up empty in its effort to find missing border jumpers, calling it one of the most significant threats. The DOJ is investigating court system data breaches and the Department of Education miscalculated student loan spending by three hundred and eleven billion dollars. Justice Alito slammed foreign leaders who criticized the job uh, Dobbs decision urging them to stay in their lane. A judge has halted the punishment of an airman who filed for a religious exemption from vaccine mandate. And San Francisco has declared an emergency over monkeypox, a virus spread most widely by sexual promiscuity. A billionaire-funded eco-group is quietly taking farmland out of production in rural America. And the Federalist warns, pay attention to the Dutch farmers' protests because America is next. An Air Force drag show... Well, the U.S. military hosted a family-friendly, in quotes, drag show at Joint Base 
Langley Eustis this past Saturday as part of an, its first ever diversity, equity and inclusion summer festival. The uh, drag performer called himself Harpy Daniels, who's giving uh, the show. The Woke Festival was given the green light by a top base officer and approval that included the use of military resources. The festival was billed as celebrating differences, but as Representative Mike Gallagher observed, diversity may be a strength for America, but it cannot be an organizing principle for the Pentagon. Instead, he said actual strength, physical strength, mental strength and overall strength is our strength. Diversity, equity and inclusion or DEI initiatives risk sapping this strength by co-opting the woke left's obsession with racial and gender diversity. The Pentagon's DEI evangelists are ironically stifling the very type of diversity that might improve military performance, intellectual diversity. Proving Gallagher's point is the fact that the drag queen acknowledged that he joined the Navy because he needed a steady income to fund his lifestyle. China's military must be shaking in its boots over the news. President Biden tested positive for COVID again, and Supreme Court leak uh, investigators have narrowed it down. That may be encouraging. Um, New daily rule, don't say gay. The word is conspicuously absent from media coverage of monkeypox, uh, public health aside. And Elon Musk countersues Twitter over the pending merger. Saying uh, everything is gone, Kentucky floods have killed at least 35, and hot, windy conditions fuel the explosive growth of fires in California and Montana. The first ship carrying Ukrainian grain leaves the port of Odessa. Well, on this day in history, 1907, the U.S. Army Signal Corps establishes an aeronautical division, the forerunner of the U.S. Air Force. 1936, the Olympics opens in Berlin with a ceremony presided over by Adolf Hitler. 1944, an uprising against Nazi occupation breaks out in Warsaw, Poland. The revolt would last two months before collapsing. 1957, the United States and Canada announced they have agreed to create a North American Air Defense Command, or NORAD. 1981, MTV makes its debut. 2013, defying the United States, Russia grants Edward Snowden temporary asylum, allowing the National Security Agency leaker to slip out of the Moscow airport, where he had been holed up for weeks. 2014, President Obama in a television news conference says the United States had tortured al-Qaeda detainees captured after 9-11. He said we did some things that were contrary to our values, end quote. 2014, a medical examiner rules that a New York City police officer's chokehold caused the death of Eric Garner, whose videotape arrest and final pleas of I can't breathe sparked outrage nationwide. 2018, the remains of dozens of presumed casualties of the Korean War are returned to U.S. soil in an emotional ceremony in Hawaii. Military members carry 55 boxes draped with American flags off two military transport planes. We've got news and traffic coming here at the top of the hour. And when we return, a conversation I had with Jeff Pack, witness to history, the story of Gideon's International. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I think most of us are familiar with the Gideons, but are we really informed about who they are, when they began, and what their core values are. I don't think I've ever spent an evening in a hotel without finding a Gideon Bible in the drawer. It is reassuring, it's comforting, and to think of the work that they've done over decades is exciting to me. Well, since its inception, more than two billion scriptures have been placed and distributed by the Gideons. 
not just in hotels, by the way. Jeff uh, Peck writes about this in his latest book. He says the rapid moral decline of post-Christian societies means there's an even greater need for seeing and hearing God's word. But today we face some new challenges. Well, he's the author of Witness to History. It's the story about the Gideons that few people know. At a time when distributing Bibles in hotels and schools and businesses often comes with opposition, he says it's more important to do so now than ever. He cites opposition from organizations like the Freedom From Religion Foundation, but says this is not the time to withdraw from providing the words of life. So I'm excited that we're going to talk about the Gideons and the book we're uh, discussing, Witness to History, the Story of the Gideons International. Well, my guest is Jeff Pack. He is a marketing professional and former director of communications for the Gideons International. He's also speaker for the Gideons in churches and other events. He has uh, helped build several technology companies, and he sits on the boards of several nonprofits serving Nashville's refugee community. So he's from Nashville. We're just delighted to welcome Jeff Pack. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you, Georgine, and uh, greetings from Nashville. You know, I think most of us think we're familiar with the Gideons, but I think the depth and breadth of your work is probably lesser known than just the name itself and the Bibles we find when we're staying at a hotel or a motel anywhere across the country. Let's begin with the history and where the Gideons began and where they got the name. Sure. Um, The Gideons began in 1899 in Janesville, Wisconsin, and it was put together by the founders who were traveling salesmen, um, and they would go across the country, you know, leave on Sunday night and come back on uh, Friday night, uh, staying in hotel lobbies. And uh, it was kind of the salesmen at the time had a poor reputation for gambling and profanity. And so the three men, uh, John Nicholson and Sam Hill and uh, Bill Knights, um, got together they two of them happened to be in the same room one night at a hotel in Janesville and um they uh just started thinking about what would an association be like if we could put it together that could hold men accountable so in the early years it was really just an accountability um between the the members and it grew rapidly and they had emblems so they were known wherever they uh, would go on trains uh, across the country and really what we're known for the bibles didn't come along until about uh, you know a decade later in uh, 1908 um when they had the idea of placing these bibles in the hotel rooms uh since they were all traveling there anyway and it was Mm -hmm. great uh, as their witness to go ahead and start that so that's how really we got started you know, as uh, you mentioned, most people are familiar with the Gideons placing Bibles in hotels, but it really is about so much more. You mentioned the goal of uh, these men holding one another accountable as they're traveling across the country. But placing Bibles in places uh, like hotels, but not limited to hotels, was not the primary goal. Can you talk a little bit about what the goal was and is and some of the other places that Bibles were placed by the Gideons? Sure. Um what uh, our goal is really the association of uh, Christian business and professional men for service. Uh, that would be our personal testimony and sharing our personal work and placing Bibles or portions thereof uh, ac- across the world. Now we're in 200 countries and where we place the Bibles, the majority of them go into schools and uh, universities uh, and students across the world still to this day, more so outside of the country uh, will distribute 70 million scriptures this year, about 10% of those will be in the United States, and the rest will go all across the globe. Uh, Largest uh, growing countries uh, where our work is, is India, uh, Philippines, Brazil. So 
the scriptures will go to students and they'll go into hospitals, uh, which we started in the 1920s. They'll go into uh, the military all across the world, which we started that in the 1940s with the World War II. That's just incredible. 2.4 billion Bibles uh, and New Testaments distributed to date. That is an incredible number. Now, I mentioned in the introduction that um, during the time when the Bibles were first distributed, there was uh, there were challenges. Do you believe our culture now is more open to or increasingly hostile to Christianity and to God's Word in particular? It depends on where you are, obviously, in the mm-hmm. world, some places in uh, Africa. It's very easy for us to walk into, um, you know, any school and uh, distribute uh, scriptures. Um, I've been chased by nuns in Argentina uh, <laughs> trying to distribute <laughs> scriptures. And, you know, I've been welcomed and both uh, asked to leave uh, at uh, distributions in the United States. So as far as the, the our culture in general is pretty hostile, I mean, pick a subject, um, it's gotten that way. Uh, Christianity, you know, I think um, Martin Luther had said that, you know, we shouldn't be startled by persecution, but strengthened mm-hmm. by it. And, um, you know, as Christians, you know, you can go back as far as Job 5-7, where, you know, man is born to trouble, uh, surely as sparks fly upward. I think of that at, uh, every night when I light a fire in my backyard. So, But uh, w- the way we handle it is the key, is that we approach it with compassion and not anger, and that's the hard part. I know that placing Bibles is one aspect of the work of the Gideons, but also uh, encouraging people to read the scriptures and to be guided by the scriptures that have a relationship with Jesus. Can you talk a bit about how that part of the emphasis is is carried out? Uh, I think we tend to think of Gideon's as placing a Bible anonymously walking away, but that's only a part of the work. Right. And, um, you know, we, like on a campus, we'll go there and we'll actually, um, uh, you know, discuss and have conversations with people. It's funny uh, that some campuses actually allow us on in the freedom of speech area on the campus. Uh, and how, uh, you know, we try to feel, um, you know, I, you know, always have said pe- people never feel welcome in our churches until they feel welcome in our lives. So we try to establish relationship with people as we go uh, along in our um, daily um, work of uh, distributing scriptures. That could be in everything from the grocery store now uh, to restaurants. And really just trying to help people get them in a church. It doesn't have to be my church. It just try to you know, point them in the right direction of getting the church and then the pastors that we work with take over from there. You, in the press release that I received from uh, your representative, you point out that Bible-centeredness is decreasing and skepticism is growing. And the percentage of adults who read the Bible daily has dropped from 14% to 9%, which is an unprecedented drop of 5%, according to Barna Research. It's amazing to me to consider that only 14% um, of adults read the Bible on a regular basis. So that's a challenge for anyone and certainly for the Gideons. Right. And I think it's uh, what Christians have, uh, I think, 4.4 Bibles in their houses each. Uh, so reading and understanding it has always been um, mm-hmm. you know, a difficult trip and also, you know, the work of the devil to be able to do everything you can to keep it from that. Uh, sometimes I think people will see more scripture in their Facebook reads uh, than they will out of their Bible sitting on the uh, you know, kitchen table. 
And we're going to take a break here in just a moment. When we come back, I would love to give you an opportunity to share some of the stories because it's uh, it's incredible to consider how God's word, when placed in the hands of some individuals by the Gideons, it has transformed their lives personally. It has saved their lives physically and has had a tremendous impact. So uh, just emphasizing the necessity and the benefit of God's word is one of the things I respect so much about the Gideons. But we'll get into that in just a moment. Again, we're talking with Jeff Pack. He is the uh, author of Witness to History, the story of the Gideons International, which is uh, fascinating when you consider these men who wanted to hold one another accountable, grew into an organization that has placed God's word in uh, places where people frequent uh, over the last, uh, what, 120 years. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll continue in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Jeff Pack. He's the author of Witness to History, the story of the Gideons International. He is a marketing professional and former director of communications for the Gideons International. He's also a speaker for the Gideons in churches and other events. Well, just before the break, I um, invited you to talk about uh, some of the stories of people whose lives have been transformed by God's word, whether that is their their inner life or even their their physical life being preserved. Can you give us a short story about the, the Gideons, uh, of a story of those who have received scriptures from the Gideons and the impact that has had? Uh, uh, Staff Sergeant Aaron Zahn is one example that comes to mind. Yeah, that's um, oldie but a goodie. Um, yeah. Aaron Zahn was um, uh, from North Dakota, and he was in the war in 1945. He was stationed in Frankfurt, Germany. And uh, when his unit came under attack, uh, he felt something hit his chest. And so he reached in his front pocket, and that's where he kept his Gideon New Testament. Uh, and as he took it out, he saw that the bullet had just penetrated uh, the New Testament and not his heart. And so he was curious as to where the bullet stopped, and it stopped right on Psalm 27, which is, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Now, that's great news, and we've had lots of people, lots of stories, even in the Vietnam War, of where, you know, they keep them in their top pocket, and and sometimes the bullets would hit there, and the New Testaments would uh, save them. So it's an incredible story, you know, hard to believe, but that's... That's precisely what happened. Well, tell us some uh, stories that may be a bit more up to date, because there are plenty about how God's word has impacted the lives of those who have received it in connection with the Gideons. Sure. Now, uh, Georgine, I know you're a musician. So you'll I appreciate am. this thing. <laughs> uh, back in uh, the 1960s, there was a musician named Tommy, and uh, he had some hits on the radio, uh, but he also hit big with the booze and the pills and had no fear of chemicals and uh um, so lots of damages to hotel rooms, as we know musicians will sometimes do, not us. Uh, then one night in the Holiday Inn, he uh, picked up a Gideon Bible. And at the time, Tommy was into UFOs, um, spaceships and time travel. And he opens up the Gideon Bible to Ezekiel, of all places. And as we know, that's full of uh, wheels in the sky, chariots, blue crystals, Um and Tommy said, well, that's really God talking to me. But uh, then he got on with drinking and he went to the next city, the next tour. When he gets to the next city, he gets in a hotel and he sees the Bible. Now he thinks they're following him. So <laughs> he gets the Bible back out and he's reading it. And it's right there. He said, look, I'm just tired of, of this. I'm tired of my life. And he gave his life to Christ. Uh, the gentleman was Tommy James of Tommy James and the Shondells. 
And he oh went on goodness. to write a number one song about his conversion, which is Crystal Blue Persuasion. Isn't that amazing? And most people would have no idea what that, <laughs> what that song is about. <laughs> There'll be peace and good brotherhood, Crystal Blue Persuasion. So, you know, that's one good story. We can go on and on. A more recent one, maybe, um, um, is a gentleman by a student named Craig. And uh, Craig was going to the uh, Oklahoma City University. Uh, and he joined a fraternity where he got in a l- little bit of trouble. So to uh, keep the fraternity uh, on campus, he pledged, well, uh, he'll start a Bible study in the fraternity house. Well, on the day before the first Bible study, he didn't have a Bible. And there behold, walking across campus was a Gideon passing out Bibles that day. And he took that little New Testament and he started a small little Bible study in the basement of that fraternity. Uh, Well, Craig kept growing that small little study to become Life Church. His name is Craig Groeschel. And he now has a church with over 30,000 people in Edmond, Oklahoma. So we never know. Just where one little Bible having up. an impact on the lives one. of those who received it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, what, what were or are the drummers and how did they fit into the outreach plan of, of the Gideons? Sure. The drummers is uh, the term they used to use for uh, sales people that they would actually just, you know, go out and drum up new business. So each of the um, three men who started the Gideons, and by the way, you asked me about the name, it comes from Gideon 7, sorry, Mm -hmm. uh, Judges 7 and the Gideon story there. Uh, But all of them were drummers, and uh, they would just be out on trains. Like I say, Sunday night they go out, Friday night they come back in. And uh, that's kind of where the the term drummer, which is, you know, uh, salesman now. Yeah. Now, who are the Gideons today? We're we're familiar with that history now of what, uh, how it started. But who are the drummers today? Who are the men and and women who are distributing scriptures today? Are they from all walks of life, or do they tend to be among those who travel? Uh, it's people who are out in public uh, mostly. It'll it'll be businessmen still, lots of salespeople, uh, managers, and uh, people who have uh, time as well to be able to devote to the ministry and a flexible schedule. But you'll find we have uh, everything from doctors to lawyers and such, um, and um, it, it just continues to grow throughout. Uh, the world, each uh, you know, country is a little bit different profiles, but they're all professional men and women, and, uh, men and their wives, and uh, with one purpose to reach, uh, you know, boys and girls, men and women, uh, to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And today, there's about a quarter million uh, members in over 200 countries, um, and we're able to pass out scriptures in about 100 languages. Do you find it more challenging today to play scriptures? Uh, do you, you mentioned a couple of examples where you have uh, faced opposition. Is that more common today or, uh, or not? Uh, it's been uh, around us, you know, since the beginning. In the 1950s, there was a lot of uh, objection to passing out Bibles. Uh, in, the, in the 60s, uh, you know, prayer was taken out of schools. Uh, in, in the 70s, we were able to go on campuses, which, you know, uh, college campuses are a little bit more liberal. Uh, but then uh, towards the 80s and 90s, had a lot of opposition from public schools. The Gideons always go by the law or by what the school board tells us, um, you know, they'll be, um, you know, uh, 
people out there defending it. In fact, I think one of your guests, Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, we've worked with before. Um, and so there's always someone there to help us. But we, if we just, you know, stay in our guardrails and, and do what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to do it, uh, we tend to be able to keep going in schools where we've had lots of opposition, um, you know, maybe in the, in the South, a little bit easier in the North and maybe get a little harder. Um, and, uh, we've been able to develop, uh, the life book, which is a, the, the book of Mark, and they're able to, we're able to work with the churches in their youth groups and be able to have them take it and share it with their friends. So we're working mm-hmm. through the pastors, through the uh, youth pastors, with just a really, you know, kind of um, teen version of uh, the book of Mark. And they're able to share it with their friends in the places where we can't really get into. So God, you know, always gives us a witty invention as the Bible says. And, uh, you know, that's uh, been our uh, latest way of being able to reach uh, students. Excellent. What do you think our um, our listeners might find most surprising about the Gideons? Um, well, they, they they should walk away with a uh, you know a good history of uh, each chapter is a decade. So um, each chapter profiles the you know the events that happened during that decade and where the Gideons fit into that. For instance, when Russia fell, we were right behind there walking, uh, you know, Bibles across the uh, border as it fell, uh, Berlin wall, the same. And uh, as a decolonization of Africa, we were able to go into each in the fifties and the sixties, we we're able to go into each uh, of those countries as they uh, got their freedom. Um, so you'll, you'll pick up the history, but I think what you'll learn also is that, um, you know, as I say in the book that uh, everything has changed, but nothing, is different. People still need mm, Jesus after that's right. all these years. Um, you know, we don't have to make the Bible relevant. Uh, we just have to show its relevance. Absolutely. Well, I am so appreciative of your providing us with a resource to learn the history of the Gideons. I'm grateful for the work that has been done over the last 120 years to place God's word wherever it's been welcome and in some places where it's been unwelcome. And I thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. One final question. If our listeners are interested in uh, the Gideons, perhaps in, in the outreach, what's the best way for them to learn more? Sure. Um, the best place for the book and to learn a little bit about the Gideons um, uh, is witness to history.org. Again, that's witness to history.org. And you can find information about uh, the book as well as the ministry there and the way to order it, um, you know, to, toll free today. Witness to history.org. Hey, Jeff Pack, thank you so much for talking with us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Georgine. God bless. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Wanted to wind through some of the headlines from the last couple of days. We uh, rebroadcast an interview from the week before last on Friday. So I wanted to uh, try to catch up with some of our headlines on the uh, president's Vice presidential visits, Joe Biden met with at least 14 of his son, Hunter Biden's business associates, while vice president in Obama's White House. It's only relevant because he said that he had no contact or knowledge of who those individuals might have been. And in an election impact, uh, Hillary Clinton's former chief strategist revealed why Manchin's inflation bill won't affect the midterms. 
favorably, at least. Senator Joe Manson touted his agreement with Majority Leader Chuck Schumer on a reconciliation package as legislation that can halt inflation and help climate change. But it may not be enough to help Democrats facing historic headwinds just over three months before the midterm elections. Now, that's according to Hillary Clinton's former chief strategist. I think it's not a sure thing yet. Mark Penn, former chief strategist for Clinton in 2008, her presidential campaign. I don't think it will affect the midterms one way or the other. Midterms being driven by inflation, not congressional action, end quote. Voters view inflation and the economy as the crucial election issue. Multiple polls have shown trumping um, gun violence and crime, abortion and immigration. And a June Fox News poll shows most Americans trust the GOP to handle inflation more than Democrats. There's a lot of time between now and then. Things could change dramatically. We'll continue to follow the story and the polls, which are only relevant once there's an actual election and actual ballots are cast and counted. Seeking a uh, ratings boost, MSNBC and CNN and the rest of the liberal media desperately need Trump to run in 2024, according to conservative Dave Rubin. A new CNN poll shows 75 percent of Democrats don't want President Biden to run for reelection after candidate Biden promised the moon. They're now frustrated. On Taiwan trouble, observers point out that the Ukraine war shocked the world. So we must act now to prevent the next one in Asia. Is that possible? One wonders. Well, the FDA has added a warning. Puberty blockers can cause brain swelling and vision loss. ABC earlier this month said the U.S. Food and Drug Administration added a warning to uh, a particular hormone, GNRH, um, commonly known as puberty blockers, indicating there were serious risks for youth who take them. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration identified six cases in females between the ages of 5 and 12 who were taking the the drug, which presented a plausible association between that and um, another uh, drug that is also required. The drug, also known as idiopathic intracranial hypertension, occurs when the pressure inside the skull spontaneously increases, which can cause brain swelling, severe headaches, nausea, double vision, and even permanent vision loss. The warning seems to conflict with the U.S. Assistant uh, Secretary of Health Rachel Levine's claim that there is no argument against medical professionals, that youth access to gender-affirming care, such as puberty blockers, is valuable and important. The Daily Wire weighed in, saying puberty blockers and hormones have come under fire against the uh, again rather after President Joe Biden's U.S. Assistant Secretary of Health asserted that the U.S. should not limit youth access to so-called gender affirming care. However, Florida's Department of Health has argued the opposite of Levine's claims, saying that due to the lack of conclusive evidence and the potential for long term and irreversible effects, Doctors should not prescribe children 18 years of age and younger puberty puberty blockers or hormone therapy. Ukraine struck a strategic bridge vital to Russia's resupply efforts last week. Ukrainian forces took out a key bridge in Kherson, defense officials said, destroying Russia's plans as it looks to advance its troops to the south. Head of the Joint Coordination Press Center for the Ukrainian Defense Forces said that high precision strikes had hit the um, the bridge in an attempt to control Russian logistical and transportation routes. Ukrainian news outlets first reported when pressed about the implications of Kiev targeting its own infrastructure. She told reporters, uh, we are not destroying infrastructure. We are destroying the enemy's plans. The bridge, which crosses the uh, Dnieper River, has become a major strategic target that crosses uh, uh, Ukrainian uh, uh, defense forces in recent weeks as they look to severe access or sever access between the Russian army 
in Kherson and uh, occupied areas off the Crimean Peninsula. In other news, uh, CNN has chimed in on the Biden administration's effort to redefine recession, saying you can't fake this. Spencer Brown says that as the administration furiously attempts to spin our current economic situation into an argument to vote for Democrats in November's midterms, the White House can apparently no longer expect assistance from CNN. During a segment uh, talking about the White House's desperate attempts to redefine what a recession is, CNN editor-at-large Chris Cezilla or Saliza, and host uh, Cassie Hunt had some fun at the expense of the White House's laughable attempts to paint a rosy picture of the Build Back Better agenda's effects. Disclosed TV says that Biden's economic advisor to negative quarters of GDP growth is not the technical definition of recession. RNC research says amid fears of recession, CNN's Cassie Hunt slams the administration for denying the definition of a recession. You just can't fake it. Well, the Biden administration is planning to sell 20 million more barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. This makes the fifth sale. The administration on Tuesday said it will um, sell an additional 20 million barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve as part of a previous plan to tap the facility to calm um, oil prices boosted by what they say is uh, caused by the Russian invasion of Ukraine and as demand recovers from the pandemic. The United States has already sold 125 million barrels from the reserve, with nearly 70 million barrels already delivered to purchasers. A senior administration told reporters the SPR release uh, have been a supply lifeline to oil and refining companies as the industry continues to get oil production back online after declines during the peak of the COVID pandemic, the official said. However, Fox News says that while gas prices are down significantly since the recent national average prices of more than $5 a gallon in June, the average as of Tuesday of last week was still $4.37, compared to $3.15 from one year ago and approximately $2.39 when the president took office in January of 2021. Meanwhile, Republicans slammed the White House after previous sales from the Strategic Petroleum Reserves after it was made known that millions of barrels were being sent to European and Asian countries, including China. The White House also announced that the Department of Energy is proposing a rule change regarding how the federal government acquires oil for the Strategic Reserve. The new rule, if adopted, would permit fixed price contracts as well as index Index price contracts. The current rule requires purchase prices to be set by a price index, with a price paid being based on market prices at the time of delivery. The U.S. is discussing unfreezing and giving assets to the Taliban for humanitarian relief. You might be surprised to hear the word Taliban and humanitarian in the same sentence, but according to the insider, the U.S. and the Taliban are negotiating the release of $3.5 billion in Afghans' reserves that were frozen when the Taliban retook control of the country. Reuters reported three unnamed sources that officials have exchanged proposals for how the releases could be done, but two of the sources said there's still big issues standing in the way of a deal, including the Taliban's desire to keep top figures in the Afghan Central Bank in their roles, despite one of them being under U.S. sanctions. The U.S. froze Afghanistan's $9.5 billion in reserves, some of which is held in New York City, after the Taliban took over in August of last year. The Taliban have repeatedly asked for it back, citing the country's economic crisis after the takeover. Current negotiations are on $3.5 billion of that amount, Reuters reported. The president signed an executive order in February to say that amount could be sent to Afghanistan. Afghanistan as humanitarian aid. 
While the uh, Taliban do not reject the concept of a trust fund, they oppose a U.S. proposal for third party control of the fund that would hold and disperse returns reserves. With, said the uh, Taliban government source who spoke on condition of anonymity. The United States has been in talks with Switzerland and other parties on the creation of a mechanism that would include the trust fund, disbursements from which would be decided with the help of an international board, according to the U.S. source, who also declined the name in order to discuss the matter. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Walmart woes are sending U.S. stocks tumbling. The Dow was down 229 points. This is last week. Walmart off uh, 7.6%. All three of the U.S. benchmark stock averages lost ground as investors reacted to a basket of disappointing earnings led by Walmart, which um, cut its profit forecast due to inflation pressures. Shares uh, were the worst, Dow members uh, dragging down consumer discretionary stocks that weighed on um, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ composite with declines in Bed Bath & Beyond, Amazon, and Dollar Tree shares. The increasing levels of food and fuel inflation are affecting how customers spend, and while we've uh, made good progress clearing um, headline categories, Apparel in Walmart U.S. is re- is uh, requiring more markdown dollars, according to Doug McMillan, who is a CEO at Walmart, in the company's press release. The company also cut its full-year profit forecast as it expects even more pressure on general merchandise over the next two quarters. Well, Twitter plans to hold a shareholder vote for Elon Musk's buyout. Twitter said that it would hold the shareholders meeting to vote on the uh, company's $44 billion acquisition by Elon Musk on the 13th of September. Of course, he is now countersued. The shareholder meeting will commence at 10 a.m. Pacific time, will be available via a webcast. Shareholders will be able to watch the meeting live and then vote, the company uh, said, in a filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Twitter's board of directors has previously urged its shareholders to approve the company's sale to Musk. The question is now whether or not Musk actually wants it. White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson's message reveals a different side of the story than the one championed of late. Well, the Federalist reports nearly 18 months of private chats between friends from the Trump White House show the January 6th committee star witness Cassidy Hutchinson dramatically changed her story about what she knew and how she felt about what she witnessed as a White House staffer. In her two-hour testimony, Hutchinson made a series of blockbuster claims incriminating former President Trump, her White House colleagues, and even her direct superiors over their conduct as security at the U.S. Capitol was compromised by a horde of of demonstrators. Relying on third-party conversations, Hutchinson claimed the president tied a uh, try to violently hijack the presidential limousine to drive himself down to the rioters on January 6th. Claim was denounced as fabricated hours later. Yet in a series of private communications from December 2020 to May of 21, uh, shared exclusively with the Federalist, Hutchinson commiserated with other targets of the probe about how little information she had about any wrongdoing that day and lamented how corrupt the politicized committee was. Far from being upset with Trump, Hutchinson repeatedly spoke in favor of him and his presidency. Spencer Brown says the messages paint a picture of an aide who is unrecognizable to the one who testified about being fearful of what could happen in the days leading up to and horrified by what she watched uh, happen when the White House, uh, rather from the White House on January 6th. 
Same, she wrote back. Well, in her testimony, Hutchinson painted herself as someone who was appalled by Trump's comments in response to the Capitol riot. While aspects of her testimony almost immediately fell apart, Democrats in the mainstream media championed her as a truth teller. Again, thanks to recently unearthed text messages, it now appears that Hutchinson was far from fearful and appalled by the January 6th riot and, in fact, was still singing Trump's praises months afterwards. I would rather shoot myself dead into the Potomac and see Marine One flying around this city without 45 again, she wrote in a message nearly three months after the Capitol riot. In another text, she describes a brief sidewalk exchange with a stranger over a sweatshirt she was wearing that was emblazoned with the number 45. According to her text, the individual asked if the number was a reference to Trump, to which he responded yes, and then adds, I'm an insurrectionist. So what led her um, about face uh, to her about face? Uh, Evidently, it was Trump's former staffer, Alyssa Farah, who convinced Hutchinson to work with the anti-Trump congresswoman, Liz Cheney. After this latest revelation, Hutchinson has proven herself to be, well, less than truthful and her testimony to be unreliable. The Justice Department is investigating rather former President Trump's actions in the J6 criminal probe. And President Joe Biden is considering extending a pause on student loan repayments for several more months, as well as forgiving $10,000 in student loan debt per borrower as he seeks to appeal the young voters ahead of uh, uh, rather appeal to young voters ahead of the November midterms. Justice Roberts aimed his, to, to persuade Justice Kavanaugh to save the abortion precedent before the Supreme Court leak. And Democrats are pushing a bill that would impose term limits on Supreme Court justices. Natural gas hit the highest level since 2008. EU nations back a 15 percent gas cut target as Russia reduces its flow. Consumer confidence and new house sales are falling and new signs of economic weakness. And the CDC is promoting a teen chat platform to discuss LGBT topics and witchcraft without parents' oversight. New diversity standards for medical schools fuel a woke health care debate. And imagine that. FDA officials warn of brain swelling and vision loss in minors using puberty blockers. A criminal investigation is being launched into the maker of an Alzheimer's drug. And uh, Speaker of the uh, House Nancy Pelosi found herself in the center of a firestorm following one of her husband's most recent stock purchases. But his stock purchases have caught the media's attention and come under scrutiny for quite some time. The Speaker's uh, latest headache ignited after her husband, Paul, who owns a San Francisco investment and consulting firm, bought more than a million dollars in NVIDIA, a campaign chip company, just weeks before a congressional vote that would provide massive subsidies to the industry. Pelosi, who is among the wealthiest members of Congress, has garnered attention for her husband's stock timing before. During the summer of 2021, Paul Pelosi, he cashed in on big tech shortly before the House Judiciary Committee voted to curtail the unregulated power of companies like Google and Amazon. Chris Cuomo gets a new anchor gig at News Nation, saying his troubles are in the past. Cuomo shrugged off sexual assault allegations. And on Monday, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot proposed a $900 million to $2.2 billion Hail Mary offered to uh, convince the Bears to stay in their home stadium for another 50 years. Or rather, they've been there 50. She wanted to extend that. However, the Chicago Bears stated in a press release earlier this month that they wouldn't consider any other offers, even for their home stadium, Soldier Field. The NFL team affirmed that sentiment to ESPN this week, noting that they were set to, to move another location over 30 miles away to a safer suburb. Meanwhile, Justice Clarence Thomas will no longer teach at George Washington University Law School. 
The mob has won. Associate uh, Supreme Court Justice Thomas will not be teaching there this fall. The school student newspaper reported on Wednesday. The news, which comes weeks after circulation of a student-led petition to fire Thomas as a lecturer over his June 24th vote to overturn Roe v. Wade, was announced in an email from Gregory Maggs, a judge on the United States Court of Appeals for Armed Forces, who's been co-teaching a constitutional law seminar with Thomas since 2011. What a tremendous opportunity to question him on the logic of his decision that these students will not have. You want to uh, perhaps understand how to argue against an opponent. They won't have that opportunity any longer. President Biden has proposed trading WNBA player Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan for a Russian terrorist known as the Merchant of Death. And many are questioning whether or not that is the right thing to do. Obviously, you want U.S. citizens to be returned to their country. Returning this individual back to Russia could have uh, national security and safety implications. Donald Trump has notified CNN of his intent to sue for defamation and Portland public schools are teaching students as young as kindergarten queer theory. You can read more about that in the publication city journal. Well, we are out of time. I hope you will join us here tomorrow, right here on the Georgine Rice show. Want to take a moment and thank James blend for producing Sam Moppin for engineering. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.